Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of missiongo.org. Today our scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, which says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What we need is faith. If you want to have a relationship with God, you need to exercise faith. You need to believe the gospel that Christ died for our sins, that he rose on the third day, and that as we put faith in his finished work, we believe, and this is the substance of things hoped for, and it's also the evidence of things not seen. Substance has weight, and the weight is that God is the one that did all the work. He's the one that provided the gift to us, the indescribable gift, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and God himself became man and went to the cross and bore your sins and my sins in his own body. That's the weight, that's the substance of things hoped for. We can hope for these things as we put our faith and trust in Him. The evidence of things not seen is really faith. It's believing in the facts. It's believing that God actually does love us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We believe in that evidence. We believe in that truth. And when we believe in that truth and put our faith in Christ, we become believers in Christ. Preserve 
This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio a lovely lady by the name of Edith Hokoop. She is a lady that does a lot of the bookings for our short-term ministries and teams that travel overseas. She's been with us for several years and has done a tremendous job for us. And she's helped so many uh, get to the mission field and experience the mission field even for the first time. So she's been a very vital link in helping us with the short-term teams that go overseas. So Edith, why don't you tell us about how you joined Global Outreach Mission? How God led me uh, to my very first missions trip, experiencing what I did when I was in Brazil for three weeks. It just really stirred up something in me, and it was like God laying on my heart that it was more to life. And it was just my desire to um, do something for him. And I remember as a child, too, when I was in Sunday school, I had to um, memorize Isaiah 53. And I was the one that won the prize, which was a little brownie camera. And I just it triggered an interest in me for doing photography work. And it was always my dream one day to do photography for a purpose. And I was always hoping that God would use it in some way. And... To, it, that's what has happened. So that's how Lord got you involved in missions in the first place. Yeah, one thing just kept leading to another, and I was doing volunteer work at other organizations, and God just kept working on my heart, and one day it just all came together, and it was a God thing. So you went to the mission field, and you had a really good experience there, and you saw God use you on the mission field, and because of that experience, you went to help others to get to the mission field as well. I always thought a missionary was somebody who had to be on the platform preaching the gospel. But through trips that I went on, it was seeing that seeing that you could be used in any way. It was coming alongside missionaries and helping them. And like I said, my photography thing was something that I saw God using it. And that was exciting for me because I could come alongside missionaries and tell their story through photos for them. And also helping um, mission organizations for with photos for their websites and promotional work. And it was just exciting to see how God was putting that all together. It was a dream he put in my heart, and he was fulfilling it. And praise the Lord for that. We're so thankful for that. And so now you're, you're helping people to get to the mission field, not only photography, but you're also helping them with their uh, onboarding to, to be able to get to the field. Yeah, I do all the logistics for the short-termers who are going with booking their flights, their insurance, working with their budgets, and just helping them in that way. And yeah, it's exciting to work with young people, especially just seeing their desire to serve God in some way and helping them to fulfill that, what God has placed on their heart. Yeah, it's really been interesting. Uh, most, most, I should say, all the people that have actually joined our ministry as career missionaries have all had at least one short-term experience before the Lord led them into, into a career situation. So I think uh, short-term ministries are very, very valuable. It's very exciting to see people come and, and tell us their testimony about how God led them. And totally. it's always involved around the short-term ministry overseas. So I, I encourage everyone to, to go on a mission trip. It doesn't matter what your age is, because we have a lot of uh, finishers that come with a mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, we have a, a group in Sierra Leone right now, I think it's made up mostly of finishers. They're over there serving the Lord and uh, doing wells and doing all sorts of uh, construction things for us and helping us in various different ways. So that's a very important thing. Yeah, I totally get that because I know I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I hadn't experienced what I did on my first missions trip. I imagine sure. it's very fulfilling to to take care of all these details to try to get someone to the, the mission field and then to see them actually go 
And then when they come back, their testimonies of how God used them. Yeah, I lead teams too um, now and then, and it's always exciting to, like, I'm used to all these trips, but to be sort of walking alongside that person for the first time in their trip and just experiencing, you know, through their eyes again, it's all new to them, and just seeing the heart work that God does with them. They come back. They feel they're going to bless people, but they come back blessed. Oh, man. Totally. Yes, that's true. Yeah, the, the people I've taken to Sierra Leone, when they've come back, they're totally changed. Totally. They've seen a culture that is so poor and, and so desperate. Yeah. And they come out and they, they, they are so thankful for the lifestyle they have here in North America. But it also uh, makes them prayer warriors and some of them donors to these mission projects to, to continue to help so that uh, people can hear the gospel and they can have their needs met. So we, we appreciate that. It's just the relationships you can build with people in other countries, too. Amen. Yeah, God's children are everywhere. We appreciate you coming into our studio today, and thank you so much for sharing with us, Edith. Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. We want to remind you that this is a listener-supported program, and we cannot continue to be on the air without the support of our listeners. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet entitled The Greatest Commandment for Father's Day. It uh, talks about love, but it also has a lot of information about the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. And it talks about how they tried to trap Jesus into making an error so that they could go and crucify him and his answers. And finally, when the scribe comes and asks, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus tells them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul and then to go ahead and love your neighbor as yourself. And the love of God is explained very well in this pamphlet, and I highly recommend that you would write in to get your copy of The Greatest Commandment. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231.
Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning, as entitled, It Is Written. Printed copies are available upon request. Genuine Bible Christianity is a very practical thing. The Bible does much more than discuss abstract spiritual verities and moral precepts. It is God's written revelation of absolute and eternal truth. It is the only infallible source of truth available to mankind. It tells us where we came from, why we're here, and what the future holds in store for us. It tells us that the underlying cause of all our problems is our alienation from God. It explains how human nature became corrupted and prone to evil and violence by reason of that alienation. It tells how God in his love and concern sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place on the cross that we might be reconciled to God. It tells us that we become Christians by receiving Jesus Christ into our lives as our personal Savior and being spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit. It tells us how we should live as Christians. It explains the underlying principles which we must recognize if we want to be successful in coping with the social and economic and political problems of our times. The prophetic scriptures give us an overview of world trends and events. Now all of this is invaluable information that we can gain from no other source. In the weeks ahead, God willing, we want to discuss many of these matters with you and I hope you'll become a regular and active participant. From letters we receive, I know many of you find the Bible a difficult book to study and understand. Well, perhaps you're trying to bite off too much at one time. For the next few weeks, I'd like you to join me in an experiment in Bible study that is simple but interesting and profitable. I've entitled this brief series of talks, It Is Written. Now, what I want you to do is join me in analyzing several specific statements found in the Scriptures with a view to discovering their significance and value to us today. I'd like to start with a statement that Christ made on one occasion when he was speaking to an audience of people, which included his own disciples. It's recorded in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 36. This is what he said. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Let me repeat that. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Because his statement is in the form of a question, he obviously is inviting a response from us. He wants each of us to answer the question, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Before we try to answer, we should consider carefully the matters to which he has directed our attention. The first is the matter of profit versus loss, or as we might say today, the bottom line. The second is the matter of what value should we assign to our souls? your soul worth little or much? And third, how good are we at judging comparative values? 
If you could gain the whole world, but in the process lose your own soul, will the bottom line be a profit or a loss? Today, a great many people are thinking about the matter of profit and loss, especially business people faced with the grim realities of the current economic depression. Thousands of small businesses, and some not so small, are presently facing bankruptcy as their anticipated profits have turned into losses. The victims are left wondering what went wrong, where the causes of their loss things that were beyond their control, or did they make wrong decisions? How tragic as business failures are, they cannot compare with the even greater tragedy of ultimate failure in the business of life. The business of life involves not merely our material success or failure here and now, but the destiny and well-being of our priceless souls throughout the endless ages that await us in the world to come. When it comes to our eternal as well as our temporal well-being, success or failure, profit or loss, cannot be measured in dollars and cents. A man's life, Christ said, consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesseth. One of Christ's best-known parables was the story of a rich farmer whose fields produced abundant crops until he said, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my goods? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That was what he regarded as the bottom line. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. Christ's parable underscores two things. First, as I've said, in the business of life, Profit and loss cannot be computed in dollars and cents. And secondly, the ultimate profit and loss cannot be assessed in the realm of time alone, but only in the light of both time and eternity. To help us understand why this is so, we should be clear on what the Bible tells us about the nature of man and the scope of man's existence. Man, the scriptures say, is made in the image and after the likeness of the triune God who created him. Man was created with a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now, we're more familiar with our physical body than we are with our soul or spirit. The soul is an entity in itself, and it retains conscious existence after it is separated from the body of death. The soul is the seat of our personality, our emotions. Man's spirit is likewise an entity in itself and is the seat of man's God consciousness, something that sets humans apart from the animals who have no God consciousness. This is why the most primitive of men is given to worshiping something, even if it be the sun or nature or 
some idol of wood or stone, while the most intelligent beast never manifests any tendency to worship. This is one of the great fixed gulfs separating humans from animals, which evolution cannot bridge. At death, man's spirit and soul are separated from his physical body. The body we place in a grave where it returns to dust from whence originally it was made. The spirit, Ecclesiastes 12 and 7 says, returns to God who gave it. You remember Christ at his death said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The soul, in the case of a believer in Christ who has appropriated the salvation Christ purchased for us by his death on the cross, goes immediately to be with Christ in paradise. It was of his soul Paul was speaking when he said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And again when he said, absent from the body, is present with the Lord. At the resurrection, our spirit and soul and body will be reunited. And our resurrected bodies will be freed from all sin and their present imperfections and made, the scriptures say, like unto Christ's glorified resurrection body. We will then know no more sickness or pain or suffering or death. Such is the promised future of those who believe the gospel and by faith appropriate the eternal salvation Christ purchased through his death on the cross and his literal bodily resurrection from the dead. For the person who rejects the gospel and rejects Jesus Christ, the future will be very different. Christ said, If ye believe not that I am he, that is, the Son of God and the only Savior of men, if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. That is why at death the soul of the unbeliever goes not to be with Christ in paradise, but to a place of conscious suffering and remorse that the Bible calls hell. It was of this place and conscious state that Christ spoke in Luke 12, 4 and 5 when he said, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What is the bottom line? The answer is it would profit him nothing, but rather he would suffer an incalculable eternal loss. Very few people will ever have an opportunity to gain the whole world or even a small part of it. But God has seen to it that we all have an opportunity to make certain of the eternal salvation of our priceless souls. We cannot save our own souls no matter what we do or how hard we try. For the salvation of our souls, we are wholly dependent on Jesus Christ who, as the Bible says, loved us and gave himself for us. He purchased our redemption by dying for our sins on the cross 
in our place where he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. By grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, we're saved not by our own works of righteousness, but by appropriating the salvation Christ purchased for us on the cross. And we appropriate his salvation by appropriating him as our personal living Savior. As many as received him, the Gospel of John says in the first chapter, the 12th verse, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He asks us to acknowledge our sinfulness and our need of God's forgiveness. He asks us to turn in repentance to him and ask him to become our savior. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, my friend, if you refuse or fail to come, your eternal loss will be incalculable, even though in this life you should succeed in gaining the whole world. Won't you face up to this irrefutable truth today? As our invitation hymn is sung as we close this broadcast, won't you open your heart and life to Jesus Christ and receive him now as your personal Savior and as your divine Lord? May God bless you. I know the message you just heard was a great blessing to you, and I trust throughout this week you'll be able to apply it to your life. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're really concerned not only about people growing in their faith and being discipled by the Word of God, but also there may be some listening to us who don't know Jesus Christ personally. They know about Jesus. They may be in a religion, but they don't know him personally. But, and Jesus tells us through the disciple John, but as many as receive him, unto them gave he the right to become the child of God. In other words, you need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. The reason you need to do this is because all of us are sinners, and the Bible tells us that sin will put us in a bad place. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And then Romans 6, 23 says, but the wages of that sin, the wages of any little sin, Sin, any little lie that you say, the wages of sin is death, that spiritual death, that separation from God. That means that you won't go to heaven at the end of your life. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. You can do that by confessing to God that you are a sinner and you need grace, that you need a Savior, and ask Him to come into your life as I did many, many years ago, he did, and God changed my life and allowed me to have a life that's been very fulfilling over all these years. And we're giving away this copy of The Greatest Commandment. And if you want your copy, please write to Canis National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And you can find past 
programs of CAS National Bible Hour on our website, which is missiongo.org, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. I trust God will bless your life and draw you close to Him throughout this week.